Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. We're going to continue with the panel discussion around the topic of co-living that we started last week. Obviously, last week was part one. We're going to have part two this week. So we're going to get into some of the deeper uh, elements of it in the second half of the conversation, you know, including society uh, issues, for example, um, and, uh, and, and a wide-ranging conversation we had around that and other stakeholder interests. So hope you're going to enjoy the second half as much as the first half, and I'll just let the talking commence now. Just to bring it back a little, I think what are the um, key attributes or facilities or services that define a good co-living environment? Let's say that. Who would like to take this one? <laughs> Yeah. I'm I've been talking too much. So I was just going to stay quiet for a bit. I'll jump in. I'm going to bring David Thomas back in, actually, but I'm trying to find <laughs> the perfect moment to do that. But maybe asking him about his his impressions about co-living is a bit unfair. So, um, but well, I mean, in some ways, what's interesting from from our perspective, we're only really seeing PRS um, schemes popping up now. I mean, we've got the first one now in Nottingham, and that's a bit of a weird mashup in some ways because that's bringing the purpose-built standard apartment block but then bringing in services gyms swimming pools concierge some elements of that so what's interesting is that's almost a halfway house from what i'm hearing it's kind of built to rent yeah built to rent but they they call it sort of prs schemes and and things like that for the private rental sector but it's not there's no community element to that it's basically an apart hotel with more facilities so but but that's all the mainstream market scene at the moment. That's the nearest we're getting to co-living is apart hotels with more facilities. But from hearing all of this, I mean, this is amazing. This is what, this is what we need to get more out into the market to offer to the, the mainstream private rental sector. The tenants that don't even like being called tenants would love to have an opportunity to, to live somewhere like this. But it's um, bizarrely, it's not out there yet. I mean, the nearest we're getting is apart hotels. But, but there's some clues there already. So there's services that people are starting to provide within accommodation. It's been alluded to a couple of times. Gyms, pools, concierge services, for example. Mm-hmm. I know that in, in some of the... I know, Dan, you didn't really want to mention the name earlier, did you? But uh, in some of the, the large operator in London, you can hire a zip car. You can have laundry done. You know, there's, there's a number of extra facilities. Uh, so there is the facilities aspect. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm driving at here. And I bet David Bonk, you've—I bet you've got extra services and extra facilities apart from just a bedroom that people share in your in your accommodation block. Would that be fair? Absolutely. We we don't show all of those amenities on uh, on every tour, but we do have uh, you know uh, a room with an accessible bathtub, so with the you know the hydraulic seat lift. That the idea being that you know we want people to live well here. And, and not have to move out and go to the traditional type of facility. That's not where I, I can't imagine my mom being in that type of an institution or my grandma 
I want, uh, you know, I want people who live in the home free development to be able to, to stay here. And as our, uh, mobility decreases as it does, I don't want people to have to move out of here, move away from their friends and their family and their spouse, just for the sole reason that their legs don't work anymore. So having, um, having amenities that, that serve, uh, our members as they age is, is absolutely uh, important. And, and, and the other services that, that become important, uh, as we age as well, like, like food and, you know, a place to maybe meet, uh, uh, with a medical professional. Uh, so yeah, we've, we've thought of spaces like that as well. Yeah, I, I would echo that. The community kitchen, you know, we would frame it, frame it is, is breaking bread and having a meal and sharing food with someone is a, you know, is, is a way to break down some of the barriers that exist and address some of the issues we have with technology. And, and having an apart hotel, which is full of uh, individual things with individual kitchen doesn't necessarily help you because it doesn't it doesn't force you to an extent to get out and in and amongst the uh, the you know the other folk so our our sense is that whilst you might offer some people their own cooking facilities in the main you'll have community kitchens and those community kitchens might just be shared kitchens so so in the sense that you go cook your own stuff in a shared kitchen on the other hand there might actually be um, places to go a little bit like co-housing, I know we specifically talks about that, but about co-housing where you have, you have a, a, a hub at the centre and that hub is a shared, a shared property where people might go and share a meal. So everyone in the building, might, 30, 40, 50 people might sit down and eat. Um, that, that, I think, is, um, is, is almost a fundamental. Uh, beyond that, you know, fitness, wellness, you know, so gyms, yes, well, that comes back to your physical, physical well-being, as, uh, art, mental well-being. You know, it's all about how we feel. I think. And yeah. so in our vision of the world, um, the amenities we want to provide that are shared are those things that make most sense to share because they contribute to this sense of community and improve well-being. It's, it's interesting because I, I think there's probably, you know, may, maybe most of us on this call, are, you know, we're, we're perhaps a, a familiar with co-living to some degree. And I know David Thomas, she said you haven't heard about it before, but um, you, pretty, you picked up on it pretty quickly, I have to say. But um, if we can say, you know, co-living 1.0, is some of these, you know, these uh, has some of these con- components to them. What is co- co-living 2.0 going to look like? In other words, where is it taking us? Where where are the changes? I think there's been some hints and suggestions towards that already um, that have been made. And uh, just to pick up Ankara, which what you said, my own daughter had a similar experience at university. She stayed in an environment where she literally had a studio room, she had bathing facilities, cooking facilities, and a bed. And, and she struggled with loneliness because it was just corridors and corridors of doors. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, perhaps leading the discussion um, uh, along those lines, what, what would be needed to take co-living that maybe lots of people not even so familiar with to, to something really good and enjoyable uh, for the future? Beyond space, Richard, it's into, it's into having people whose job it is is to curate the experience. You know, you know we, we, we have what we call a community manager. We, we don't do lettings, David. <laughs> uh, we don't have, we don't, we, because that's, that's not what we're about. It's about um, we have a community manager because that person's responsibility is first and foremost to the experience of the people who live in our community. Second, oh, if we happen to have an empty room, please make sure it's filled. So it's just, a, it's just an attitude adjustment, but it's really all about how you shift into someone being actually responsible for thinking about how you create and the experience that the people living you that live with you really want 
that that to me is like the next generation. It's beyond space, beyond place. You, everyone's got gyms and pools and shared kitchens and libraries and and uh, gardens and all that sort of stuff. Now, how is it different? It's different because there's actually a focus on um, how you make all that stuff work, and you draw every single individual who lives there out of their shells, out of themselves, and into uh, into community. That that would be my take on it. Interesting. And, you know, Dan, I know you use technology. I know I'm bringing you in with the technology angle, but just also bringing you into the conversation. Um, where do you see uh, not just technology, but where do you see co-living evolving? The first thing that, that, that I see is that, that these huge purpose-built spaces need to be very, very careful about simply not just causing a different problem. Um, you know, the, 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 there's there's been some talk around again that the, the you know that some of these London specific um, solutions as as feeling quite soulless, the shared spaces not being used. Someone sat in the corner eating a pot noodle on his own. It wasn't me, by the way, but you know, um, <laughs> I, and I, I visited a one yesterday um, undercover um, to do some research and. Whilst the finish is fantastic um, and the facilities were uh, amazing, it felt like I was in a hotel. Um, and I think we need to think about um, the compromise between economies of scale and simplification um, versus the experience. Um, I think units, 100, 200 units, combined together you can see the investability of that you can also see the simplicity around maintenance i think you need to be very careful that you're not just creating a, 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 a big space with a shared lounge that no one uses again going back to something that luke mentioned around the community management side of things super important that we as, as certainly as british people um that we do everything we can to create opportunity to engage with other people because we are by virtue of the fact that we're British, we do tend to withdraw a little bit and therefore we need to en encourage engagement. My view is that, that we will do that with smaller, I'm going to say this because this is my model right now, but with small units that are connected to other smaller units in some way, shape or form. So we're living in, we're living in a kind of traditional sort of family size, um, looking at some of the things, for example, that, that Common are doing. Um, Brownstones in New York with 920 rooms. I think that's a perfect size for a, for a great living experience. 200, 300, 400 rooms. I think you need to be very careful that you're not just creating a different problem. Um, so I, I completely agree with you, Dan. Yeah. No, that's well said, Dan. And our, our, our view is that between 50 and 150 people is um, the zone in which we want to play but we want to play there part because you're trying to get the economics right that isn't clearly that is an important part of it as well but more is the point it's um there is lots and lots and lots of research that points to um uh, how people exist and behave in groups and when the group gets too big it's 400 500 you've got no chance you know you, you you're so 50 to 150 we think is optimum optimal but 
to go to your point, I, I don't think there's what, like a one size fits all. I think what there is, you might have, you'll have a cluster of five bed units and 10 bed units and 20 bed units, uh, 50 bed, 100, all, collect, all connected together, more importantly. And they'll all, they'll all be slightly different and they'll have a slightly different purpose. And Howard might feel more comfortable staying in a you know, five, 10 bed, more family oriented unit. Someone else, where, where by definition, you can't have quite as many facilities because the building doesn't allow it. The economics don't allow it. But if up the road there's a 150-bed unit which has a pool and other things that you can use and share because you're part of this, this community, extended community, that would work well to my mind. So, so I'm not seeing a one-size-fits-all. I'm seeing a, a network of connected entities of different sizes, but they probably top out at 150 in our world for the reasons you just pointed out. Yeah, I, I can certainly see the, 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 the opportunity to partner and engage with providers of uh, facilities in cities like London for example why would I put a restaurant in a in a in a co-living unit if I've got 20 great restaurants on my doorstep um, if I can find a way of using technology to make them feel like my own restaurants um, I would I would surely look to do that um, as an alternative so I, 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 the, the use of technology to, to create um, the community side of things i think is 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 important and i think that will evolve as we as we kind of understand what the requirements of the, of the customers are we're very early stage right now um and it, keep going back to the same development in london they learned a lot from their first building around things that work things that don't work they've increased room sizes now because eight square meters whilst it ticks the hmo minimum size requirement if you put a kitchen in there and a wardrobe there's not much room to do anything. Um, so we're learning, I think, as a community um, and, you know, the, the research around optimum room space and, and community elements and aspects is creating so much opportunity to, to do different things to, you know, enhance this, this asset class even further, I think. So we, we're talking about space utilisation. We're talking about services and facilities. We're talking about community um, in this part of the conversation. What about uh, from a consumer point of view, you know, customer, consumer in how they uh, like to buy? We've seen a lot of change, obviously, over the last decade with the sharing economy, um, for example. And, and in Garage, you know, you going off and backpacking or, or you know, going and living in, a, in Barcelona for a period of time is another sort of shift. We're all individuals with the changing landscape. Mobility, job mobility is also important. So where I'm going is, there's a lot of policy uh, talk, and I'm not trying to be controversial, but there's a lot of policy talk about um, having longer tenancies and security of tenure. But actually, what do people want? Do they want that or do they want something else? Perhaps a bit of a leading question. I, I've been quite shocked by this um, political stance of having longer tenancies from a letting agency point of view. I've never, I've never seen that being an issue, ever. It's, you know, if a tenant wants to stay there and they extend their tenancy or they, they want a longer tenancy, then that's perfectly fine. And I think that should be up to the tenant and then the landlord to negotiate that. I think trying to, to tie people into that or um, almost create this feeling that tenants want that as a collective I think is completely false from, from being in the market and speaking to tenants daily. That's not, you know, actually it's almost the reverse where a lot of them want to have that flexibility. Hence why you're now seeing short let accommodation becoming even more popular with Airbnb and 
because people actually like the flexibility of being able to be transient if that's what they want Mm -hmm. or you know put their roots down if they want to and that I think if you take that flexibility away it just wouldn't work I don't and I actually think the market would compete against that and say that's not what we want at all we want flexibility I agree with you actually because I'm renting this place right now um and I know that well, I want to go to uh, spend another month away in January and I'm trying to figure out a way how to sort of approach landlord um, to try it. Because if I keep on paying my rent here, I can't afford to go. And like, no, I don't need to go, but I want to, I can, I work from anywhere. Why, why wouldn't I? Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I don't particularly want to be tied down to longer tenancies because what I don't need to be at the moment and I don't want to also leave my boyfriend stuck with a sort of a a huge rent to pay while I'm off gallivanting Mm. I think and I think it's a political mismarketing that it's needed because it's always been there if tenants want to stay long term and they discuss that with their landlord and that's agreeable that's always been an option I don't really understand where this kind of um, misrepresentation that landlords want to be able to kick tenants out whenever they want well, some, some of them do some of them <laughs> and that's where it's come from and i think you know a small minority has made a lot of noise yeah. um, and and you know the, this has sort of been an, a, a reaction to that and i understand that you know there's there's good and bad landlords as well as there's good and bad you know te- occupants of buildings you know so it goes both ways but it was more a case of do you think there's going to be more demand for these you know bite-sized sort of living experiences i think you're going to see a shift over time to housing as a service you know you you think of you think of software as a service i mean that evolved i mean i'm from the world of technology by the way so my background i'm on startup number seven over 30 odd years and the first six were all technology companies and so so that world where effectively evolved from big monolithic systems that that were really really expensive and and only the big companies could afford you now get to the cloud and software as a service uh, and you, you you consume software completely different i think you're going to see the same with housing you know, over time, what will effectively happen? These barriers will just disappear. You will you will simply consume the services you wish to consume, um, and pay for the services you wish to consume in the way you want to consume it. You will have housing as a service. Maybe fifty years hence, I'm not saying it's like tomorrow. Well, that is pretty much where it's headed. And the reason it will take long time, by the way, is because the political system, political establishment, the whole planning infrastructure is absolutely the opposite of what it is we need it to be. Mm. That's the problem right now. Instead of instead of you know even things like because we, we've already encountered this, even where you what you want to do is to is to run a property where you effectively have a hybrid of people staying permanently, they're, they're permanent residents six months alone and on an AST, and you, in the same building you want to also have people who are um, living in it for a night or two. In other words, service accommodation planners hate it. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost it's almost well no you can't do that. It's, it's got to be an HMO, or it's got to be. C1 or, or and it can't be both. I think that's quite British specific though. That's I'm, I'm sure it is. Because um, um, places that I know that, yeah, I, well, the place that I was staying in in Barcelona, there were people who had been living there for more than six months. And then there was people, if there was a gap, because sometimes there was a gap of like one or two or three nights, people would come in and stay for just that amount of time. 
And then there was people like me who would stay for one or two months. So I think that is a quite a British specific problem, but can't really be. That particularly is, but the planners and the plannings and the authorities and the, and the, and the licensing and the politicians is not. That's, that's universal challenge. Right. Different flavours, different issues, depending upon the geography. And you may, in fact, even in find in Barcelona where you stayed, that was illegal to do that. In, in, in technically, technically, and I'm not saying it's a problem. Obviously, you may find that's the case. Or it might have been a license as a hotel. <coughs> Probably well, say. It could be a hotel. Yeah, hotel, exactly. Um, so it, it, I, I just raise it because I think, unfortunately, the political environment in which we operate is a break on some of these more um, amazing things happening as quickly as they could. Mm. That, that's all. Was that on lenders to that? Financial institutions aren't understanding it either, and that's a big gap in the yeah. development. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, you've got to have, right, you you have the money on side, you've got to have the politicians, the planners on side, you've got, you got to have all, have all of the, 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 those of a stiff collar. Right? All of those guys have to be aligned and, and uh, thinking along the same lines. And, Which and brings me to the, I mean, probably just we've one eye on the time as well. It brings me uh, to think about different stakeholder interests. So thank you for that, uh, Q. Obviously, we've got the planners, the politicians, the lawyers, the, the banks and financial institutions, but maybe a bit closer to, to home in, in terms of the audience here and perhaps who's going to be listening to this. We've got developers, service providers, uh, occupants of buildings. We've got estates and letting agents and facilities managers. So how, how is this model going to have an impact from those you know, special interest groups? Dan, you haven't spoken for a while. I'd love to get your take. Um, well, I think the, the, the first port of call, I mean, specifically with regards to the, you know, the, the potential audience for, for this piece, is... A change of mindset from people that, that that are looking at creating HMOs. Why don't we Why don't we think about some of the things that we've discussed specifically with regards to you know the customer experience and the creation of a of a of a, of a great space with layered on services. So that we're talking about um, something that's different to the, the way in which the mindset is 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 currently kind of you know being positioned and i think that's the starting point i think if we start to think about i i, I like the as a service solution to anything because I, I i you know i believe in, in that too i think whether it's living as a service space as a service house as a service i think as soon as we start to think about serving then we have a different in a different mindset and i think that's an important i think that's an important shift that we need to move away from um you know, property investment is a, is a great way of creating wealth um how about we think about creating great businesses so i would i would start with that kind of take on on, on the audience that that would be would be looking at this i think one of the things that's also important to bear in mind is that the reason we're doing this stuff is 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 partly because we feel there's a, a contribution we can make but actually it's also because it leads to superior financial performance and I think one of the, the, the things that um, we do need to articulate, to, particularly to, let's say, to the more traditional pro uh, property investor, the more traditional landlord, is that actually if you do the things that we're talking about, you address the customer, you divide a product that the customer wishes to, to purchase, they will gladly pay more for what it is you're providing. You will almost certainly have lower operating costs, because you will, we do. The consequence of that is higher margins, higher cash flows. 
ergo, it's not all about ephemeral, soft, um, you know, wishy-washy, we're going to change the world things. It's all about the good old hard currency. You will make more profit. So create nicer spaces that meet the needs of the customers they are today. You will make more profit. And the more times we repeat that, the more likely it is, is we'll have those who would traditionally not have spent as quite as much on their properties actually spending a bit more and then finding out that that's true. And, of course, when you find more of the truth, that just becomes um, uh, a few becomes many, right? And then all of a sudden, housing stock is upgraded. The, the politicians and, and the other stakeholders start to take notice that the product's better, it meets the need, and it's making more money. Hey, this is a good thing. Let's do more of this. What else could we do? What else could we do? And I think that's the language we have to have. We have to have the language that focuses on the customer, but we also have to have the, the corollary to that is the language that actually allows the tr more traditional parts of the industry to come along to play too. And that's the language of the dollar, I'm afraid. Wow. So we've got we've got the mindset, we've got the language. And Angarad, I know you're dying to come in there. You're in. <laughs> I'd love to bring you in and we'll bring the two Davids in as well. But uh, Angari, come on, what is it? Yeah, well, as a customer, um, I, like, I, and I, I get that, you know, people sort of go into property to make money and without, you know, it, it is, you've got to make a profit at the end of the day. However, um, I don't really feel uh, comfortable knowing that people are sort of marketing towards my lifestyle potentially um, as a way to make more money. Because um, to me, then that just feels like it's almost selfish. They're thinking of themselves. First and foremost, they're not really thinking about my needs and what I actually want as a customer, if that makes sense. Do you, do you have an apple in there? An apple. Do you have an iPhone? What's that got to do with it? I think what I know where he's going with it is <laughs> that the iPhone is the most expensive, most profitable phone on the planet, but it doesn't stop people wanting it. You know, the, the point is, is if we want to create good businesses or businesses for good, they have to be good businesses. And that means they have to be profitable. So I wasn't necessarily saying it was more for you. I was saying it's more profitable for the individuals who are investing in these things. Because if we don't get the folk who are, uh, have the money right now investing in these things, you won't have what you want. Yeah. And so it's about trying to get the balance right between the economics, making it sustainable, which means it has to be profitable. It has to be attractive to those who have the capital. And if it's attractive to those who have the capital, the capital will come and you'll get the product you want. So it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one. But what we think of is... is, is um, the term that, that, that internally referred to as, 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 as compassionate capitalism. In other words, with an eye to what it is you want to create because it's good, but also it's profitable and therefore sustainable so you can keep delivering good. Does that make sense? Well, what stops somebody um, just sort of making a nice place and then branding it as co-living and then just charging more for using that word when it's yeah. actually... Well, nothing. nothing. That's actually happening. Probably, Garrett. I think. But, but, but then think that the market will overtake them. Yeah, you, you, they'll, they'll get found out eventually. Serving, serving is the word. So, um, David Thomas, I think bringing you back into the conversation. Obviously, you representing uh, agents. Um, there you go. There's a big responsibility. Um, what What do you think is um, is the stakeholder interest, and how is it going to be impacted, and what you know, what what how is it going to change your life? I mean, I think it's. I think it's revolutionary and it is what a large 
portion of people out there on the market could do with. I love the whole community element to it is really well needed. Um, I think part of it is just that this hasn't made it out into the mainstream market yet in terms of education for um, PRS funds, developers, mainstream developers. They're not really, they haven't got their radar on this yet to some degree. I mean, I even struggle looking at, we've got a 350 apartment PRS scheme going up here in Nottingham and they're working on returns of six to eight percent to their pension fund. Whereas in reality, I know even if they turned half of that into serviced accommodation, you know, their returns would be much higher. If they added more community things in there, their returns would be much higher. But the reality is they don't know it yet. They don't understand the market. So what they're doing is stick into what they know, which is if they put a one bed flat on the market, they'll get £700 a month. So I think they're being very simplistic with it at the moment. But I'm, I've been really inspired by Luke's enthusiasm and his passion for it, that actually, if that resonated out to bigger developers and PRS schemes, they would love it. And I actually think that they would get on board with it because the returns are there. But at the same time, you're providing something that the market actually wants, which is all that service and community element. So yeah, it's. I think it's more an education thing now. I think it's a bit of marketing and a bit of maybe even working more with local estate agents within your areas to say, push this out to what would be your normal tenant, but make them aware that they have a better option that's even better for them. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe a bit of a link into, into David Bonk. And, you know, obviously, David, you're a developer, but you're equally operating in you know, a niche, you know, social and care, you know, crossover. What about from other niches within within the housing sector? Do you see, um, you know, big changes ahead for um, care homes or social living as a result of the, the co-living um, emergence? Well, <clears throat> around here, I've heard that some large developers, like the building boom's been going crazy for older adults, I've heard that slowing a little bit. There might be enough stock to get through the next, you know, the, it's going to be an, uh, certainly an increase in demand. How much more building is going to happen? Uh, I'm, I think those buildings that are there are going to stay full and get more expensive. And um, it's going to create the opportunity for this type of co-living that we're, that we're talking about. Um, there's going to be lots, lots of space, lots of space for it, for sure. Sure. Okay. Just with maybe an eye on the time, I'm just thinking maybe a, a sort of a, a one minute, you know, passing thought from each of the, the panelists. Um, unless there's anything that I've kind of missed in my role as host, uh, somebody pull me up on that. But maybe if we just go around, I was going to say go around the table, <laughs> uh, go around the virtual table and just some closing remarks and, you know, final thoughts, anything that you want to add? Maybe starting with Anne Gallard. Um, well, I love co-living and everything that it sort of encompasses. Um, for me, it was such a positive experience being able to land in a completely foreign city and sort of almost have instant friends. Um, the day, actually, it was the day after I landed, we actually went on a house day trip on a 10-mile hike, um, which was something that I don't think would have happened in a normal shared house. Um, and... Yeah, it was like, and I'm still in touch with the people that I was living with, and it was a really special time for me. Um, 
and so because of that positive experience I'm now trying going to sort of go and do some more um but yes I I love it it allows me to be able to travel and work and that makes me happy (laughs) well that sounds like a good fitting end it makes me happy so and and Luke what about your final thoughts the thing is it's to the existing world of property investors to shift their mindsets from how it functions to how it feels and if, if you if you can start thinking about putting yourself in the shoes of your customer because that's who they are and then reflecting upon whether or not the space you're creating functions well and, and enhances the way that person feels you will end up with lower voids higher, higher sorry bang higher, 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 <laughs> um, lower voids higher margins so function to feeling. Function, function to feeling, like it. And uh, Dan, over to you, final thoughts. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, we, we are going to kind of see a significant shift in the next, uh, you know, in the foreseeable future. It's happening now. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think the, the more we focus on um, the, the, the tenant as a, as a customer and think about, you know the, the customer experience and what we can do to enhance that to reduce friction to make things easier and to make lives more enriched um that for me uh, uh, is is where we need to be heading with the housing market and specifically co-living mm-hmm. fantastic less friction like that uh, david david bonk um closing remarks sure uh, i see this as an opportunity to 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 do well by by doing good, um, it's kind of sort of finally for me. I get to feel like my work in real estate and investment has some heart to it. I don't need to go and volunteer at another organization. I you know this is an opportunity for for anyone in real estate who wants to add more meaning to their lives, have a more rich life. You know we can really like take care of people's hearts who live in our properties now. And it's a real opportunity to, uh, you know, live our best lives as, as investors. So that's. Who would have thought the words heart and meaning and, um, would come out from a property developer or investors. <laughs> but, um, indeed it did. And so David Thomas, I'm going to pass over to you for your final thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of sums it up, that it's been quite inspiring to hear everybody on the panel talk from a completely different perspective, but actually what is really needed in the housing sector, because I think our existing housing model is outdated. Um, there is no element of service to it. And, and from just hearing how passionate somebody like Luke is about the concept and what he can give to the consumer and then and Harrod on the other end saying I absolutely loved it that sums it all up I mean if that isn't a model that will work then I don't know what is so yeah I think it's I think it definitely just needs more education and more marketing I think just to get out there and educate people that it is a, a really viable model to move forward with yeah, I think I tend to agree I think uh, it, this is part of the purpose of this um, forum of course you know is to educate uh, and share the model uh, more widely. So, you know, it's great that all of you have given up so much of your time to share. The passion is, you know, evident from all of you, um, from whichever stakeholder interest group that you have. just want to say thank you very much. I think maybe the next stage is about any you know, a conversation. It's about communication. It's about how do we make this thing real? I mean, personally, for example, it excites me, but I don't have 
any what I would call um, you know mo- you know models of this in my own portfolio right now. But I'd like to. There's a number of you guys who are doing it, and you're blazing the trail. So all credit to you. Um, and if you ever need a tenant or a housemate, I'm more than happy to come and take up one of your rooms, preferably in a nice sunny place. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't Airbnb your own place to go back to Barcelona or something. Thing. You know, that's, uh, I almost did. It was just a case of them managing and cleaning it. Landlord <laughs> of permission required. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's all I wanted to add. I don't know if there's any, anybody else, there's anything I've missed um, before we close today. Is there anything, perhaps put your hand up? Uh, well, just to say thank you to you all and to everyone on the panel for uh, such an enlightening and enjoyable uh, discussion and also just the, the opportunity to, to, to talk about what it is we're all trying to do. More of that, right? So thank you. Genuinely, thank you all. Well, there you go. I hope you found that interesting uh, to, to share in, if you like, listening to the uh, discussion panel uh, on the topic of co-living over the last couple of weeks. My thanks obviously go to all of the panellists who include uh, Dan Jackson from Urban Shared, Luke Spikes from Higgy House, David Bonk from Home Free Living, and Garrett Owen from YPN Magazine, and David Thomas from Liberty Gate Estate Agents. And this was all facilitated and arranged essentially by Helen Pollock, uh, also known as the Content Doc. So my, my thanks also go to her. I, I really wanted to get this uh, discussion aired and shared. Um, there is a, a corresponding um, article that went into YPN magazine for the March issue, if you wanted to look at that. Um, but I think, you know, we've got the whole essence of the conversation here over the last couple of weeks. So I think, actually, if you're looking at trends, um, I also wrote an article about the, the future of uh, shared living, if you like, uh, and how HMOs may well morph um, into co-living spaces going forward. Now, I don't think that's going to be every HMO in every location. But I do think there's going to be a greater emphasis on you know, the idea of shared services and community living, um, you know, expanding, if you like, the offering of, of shared living uh, to include services, to include on-site activities, to include you know, different types of groups coming together and more of a transaction model, um, transient transaction model and even a permanent living space for people. So I found it a very interesting topic to get into. And if you're, you know, in any way interested in future trends, then hopefully it will give you some pointers, perhaps for the direction of travel um, in this sort of space uh, for the future. So that was it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, I certainly enjoyed hosting it. It was a bit stressful at times. First time I've done something like that, but I really enjoyed it. And just trying to keep everyone engaged and active in the conversation was, uh, was an interesting task. But there we go. So draw a line under it for this week. Um, as I say, I hope you got a lot of merit out of that. We've been working on the uh, show notes. It takes quite some time to get these transcribed. Um, hopefully, well, I'd actually be interested. Do you look at show notes? Maybe just drop me a line. Do you look at show notes? Do you, you use them in any way? Because there's quite an expense, obviously, in us having show notes. But I'd be curious as to whether you look at them. Um, either in addition to listening or instead of sometimes. So, uh, yeah, give me some feedback on that. I'd be grateful. The show notes are going to be at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And if you want to talk to me uh, about anything or even reach out uh, and then be introduced to one of the participants in the conversation, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be delighted to hear from you. But I guess all that remains is to say thanks very much for listening against again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Jump Chat. 
Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.